Well, this is very bright. So if I'm like, like looking in this direction, very squinty, I apologize. But it's, it's really good to see all of you. Um, I, I want to just kind of open with a, a question. I, I want to ask, have you ever wondered what difference it makes to be one who follows God? Like, have you ever wondered... What, how is life different if I am a Christian? Maybe you are someone right now who's actually reflecting that. You've generally come to believe that, that the gospel is true, but yet at the same time you're trying to figure out, do I really want to kind of invest myself in this? What difference does it make if I entrust myself to Christ? If you've been in the church, you probably know some of the answers are, you know, that there's a difference when we die, that we experience that, that rescue from death. And, and also people will often speak about the difference that, that we get in terms of a sense of meaning and, and purpose and, and comfort and hope. And all of these things are true. But, but isn't there a way that life is different, not just inside of us, but in the way that we experience it in the world around us? Can we notice, do we experience God at work in our lives? What difference does it make for God to be our God? And, and Christian theologians and the Bible will say, yes, if, if God is your God, you will experience it in the way life is different. You will experience his comfort. Romans says that God works all things for the good of those who love him. It, it, it changes things. Yet at the same time, the Bible and Christian experience will very consistently tell us that, that that's complicated. So there is uh, a well-known hymn from a few hundred years ago, uh, and it begins, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea. If you're looking to see where God stepped, you won't because he plants his footsteps on the sea and he rides upon the storm. In other words, he is confusing and sometimes frightening and we often not understand if we're saying God is there and he makes a difference and he cares for us, sometimes it is really hard to see how. So when I think of an example of this, I think of, of Bobby Netsband. Some of you remember Bobby Netsband. The first time I met Bobby Netsband, I was working at, I was serving at the bridge. You know, we have every few months, a group of us go into the city to, to work in this ministry, the bridge. And, and, and Bobby comes up to me and he says, Jeff, how are you, man? So good to see you. And I am, in that moment, utterly confused because I'm sure I've never met this person in my life, but maybe I have. And so I'm trying to figure out how to do that ambiguous, you know, like where you look like you kind of recognize the person, but if you don't know him, then it's all. So, and then he finally lets me off the hook and he laughs and he tells me that, you know, someone else told me who I was. So he thought he'd make me feel uncomfortable. So that's Bobby Nesfan. And, and he was a church planter in Watsika, Illinois. I knew nothing about Watsika. It's the middle of nowhere, Illinois. It is, it is under, I mean, like it is economically... Uh, oppressed, you could say. No one would want to plant a church there, but he did. And that church, Amazing Grace Church, was a place that you were seeing spiritual fruit. Good things were happening. And then one night, Bobby Nesband, who had diabetes, because of diabetes, lost consciousness when he was driving and he drove into a lake and he died. If, if God is our God, how is that? Like, how does that, that doesn't seem like that's what should happen if God takes care of his own. Or perhaps you can think of something more personal. Can you think of a moment where you were praying and praying and it seemed so clear that it would be good for God to just answer those prayers and that no matter how long you prayed, God did not do what you asked him to do. And, and you ask, what is going on? 
if God is my God, shouldn't life be different? Shouldn't he answer prayers like that? This, this confusion of, of God's involvement in our life is not something that's foreign to the Bible. One of the, the wonderful things about the Psalm hymn book, the Psalter, is just how raw it is. So Psalm 22, a song of David, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We might think of those words in relation to the cross, but they were first cried out by David as he was trying to understand. He says, Day and night I cry. By day I call and you do not answer. By night I cry and, you can, and I cannot rest. There is this, wait a second, God, if you are my God, how can this be? Because God, he, he plants his footsteps in the sea. He rides upon the storm. He moves in a mysterious way. It is confusing and sometimes discouraging in the way that God cares for us. And yet, I'm struck by how right after Psalm 22, we have Psalm 23. Uh, and I think that's intentional. It's, it's like Psalm 22 will say, let's be realistic. This is how sometimes it can feel in this world of suffering to have God be our God. We might cry out, why have you forsaken me? But then Psalm 23, also written by David, we're told, and yet, this is how things really are. I'm reminded of uh, one of my favorite uh, Narnia books. Uh, if you guys know the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, um, everyone knows Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. One of my favorite that's less known is The Horse and His Boy. And it tells the story of, of Shasta, this boy, and uh, talking horse Bree, who are escaping a cruel master way far off, and they're traveling to Narnia. And as any good story does, there's all sorts of challenges and conflict. There's soldier, there's wild animals, there's hunger, there's thirst. And there seems to always be these different lions that keep on attacking and chasing Shasta and Bree. And there's this moment about two-thirds of the way through the book where, where Shasta has just had it. He is in this dark fog, literally, he's lost, he doesn't know where he is, and he just, as he's walking, just starts crying, and he thinks about just how hard his life is, and how alone he is, and, and as he is, is walking in this fog, he realizes that somehow there seems to be someone right next to him who's walking, and he can't see him very well because of all the fog, but this, this person asks him, so why, t- tell me why you are so troubled, and Shasta goes through the story about his cruel master and, and all of these things and how hungry he is and how he keeps on getting attacked by lions. And, and then he hears in response, I do not call you unfortunate, said the large voice. Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta. There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I've just told you. There were at least two the first night, and there was only one. He was swift of foot. How do you know? I was the lion. And as Shasta gaped with open mouth and said nothing, the voice continued, I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you should reach the king. I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. Who are you? asked Shasta. Myself, 
said the voice, very deep and low so that the earth shook. And again, myself, loud and clear and gay. And then the third time, myself, whispered so softly you could hardly hear it, and yet it seemed to come from all around you as if the leaves rustled with it. A new and different sort of trembling came over Shasta, yet he felt glad, too. And, and so w- what you have in this moment in this book is, is this moment of revelation where Shasta suddenly realizes that even though things were so hard, even though things felt so exhausting, this awareness that there has been a presence with him, watching over him and caring for him. And it's this moment of revelation, this awareness of something that seems hard to believe at times that we are given in Psalm 23. David sees clearly, if for but just a moment, in the midst of the difficulty of life, and he sees that he has a God who loves him, a God who is his shepherd. That's the first four verses. We we unfortunately don't have time to even consider. There's two images. There's God is my shepherd and God is my host. And and we're only really going to have time to look at the first of these and dwell on that. And I I want us to just consider what David sees so that we can see it as well. And I realize that it's going to be at times maybe hard to hold on to this because we experience the reality of that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me aspect. And it might seem like we're just trying to tell ourselves something to make us feel better. And so as we go through this, I want us to, to look beyond our experience and recognize that everything that David says, God shows us in Jesus to show us that this really is true. So David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And I don't know how you feel about shepherds. To me, there's something about shepherds that feel kind of almost romantic and and exotic and pastoral, but that that wouldn't have been the way people would have heard it at that time. It would have sounded essentially like the Lord is my plumber or the Lord is my grocer. These were things that they were very familiar with. I mean, David himself was a shepherd. Which means when people hear this analogy, they understand things immediately. They realize, first of all, that sheep are, are well, dumb. They're, they're really dependent. They, they can't find food for themselves on their own. They, they constantly get lost. And if a predator comes, really their only mechanism of defense is just saying, bah, and hoping that will somehow scare the predators away. They, they're helpless. And people also would have understood that not all shepherds are equal. It's not like every shepherd is great. Some shepherds are careless and inattentive and, and aren't willing to, to take care of the sheep very well. But David says, that's not true for me. He has, he has realized the difference that it makes to have God be his God. He's realized that the Lord is his shepherd. And not only is he a shepherd, he is a good shepherd, so good that his conclusion is, I will lack no good thing. And he reflects in the following verses about what that means, that God is his shepherd. First, he says, the Lord is a shepherd who provides for me. So verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. 
in an area that was as dry as Israel was, you could not just keep sheep in the same area and hope that they would have enough grass. You would have to lead them out of the pens. And you can imagine a lazy shepherd just kind of going to the first place where there's just a few scraggly weeds and just letting the sheep just try to find food. But, but David says, that's not my God. My God, he, he keeps on directing the sheep until we get to the beautiful spot where the grass somehow is lusciously green and there's plenty to eat. And there's a pond right there that is quiet and still and, and we can just sit and eat and rest. And the, the image is meant to help us to understand that we have a God who is aware of our every need, and he provides for them. I think sometimes when we think of how God is involved in our lives, we, we kind of have an image of God as if he's an overambitious little league coach. Here's what I mean. Have you ever seen an overambitious Little League coach where somehow he's gotten into his mind when there's a Little League World Series, it is the World Series. And so for every moment, their kid, his kids are being pushed and come on and finding out who's best and making sure that they are as good a team as possible, but that they are having as little fun as possible, it seems. And sometimes I think we might have that image of God, that God is not as much concerned about how pleasant things for us. He just wants us to be better, to serve him better. But that's not what David says. That's not what David has understood. He says he, he causes us to, to lie down in green grass. He's aware of our needs, of our anxieties, our exhaustion, and he seeks to provide. If that seems hard to believe in the midst of the tiredness that we're feeling, just, just think of this for a moment. Think of, of Jesus when he has, and, and maybe a setting like this, except much bigger, and there's thousands of people as he is speaking, and somehow he is keeping their attention all day long. And it's the end of the day, and the disciples are like, you know what, we really need to send them away because they don't have any food. And Jesus says, you know what, I care for them Let's feed them. And of course, the disciples are confused. But what I love about that moment is literally in the Gospels, it says, he causes them to lie down in green grass. And then he gives them food. And it's clear that we're supposed to see this, this is the good shepherd. And he is so concerned about his people that it's not just enough to teach. He makes sure that they have something to eat and that they can rest. Because that's the way our God is. He is a shepherd who provides for our needs. There will be moments throughout life in the midst of our exhaustion that there will be these islands that God gives us, these moments where you see he is aware of our need and he is providing. I think of a time when I, Jennifer and I had just been married for about a year and we were moving out of our apartment and we actually had a flight the next morning and it was, have you ever had that like moving moment where you just decide you've had it and yet there's all this mess and all these uh, opened boxes and you just don't think it's ever going to work again and your life is forever over? And I remember like calling in the afternoon because I phone actually was disconnected at that point, going to the library, pay phone, just calling a friend of mine. He wasn't home. I left a message basically saying, help. Two hours later, we're just done. And we get a knock at the door, and there he is with his girlfriend and pizza. And, and suddenly, everything was better. And, and we can say that that's a story of the goodness of my friend, and he was a good friend. But even in that moment, I realized that there was God who knew just what was going on, and he provided us green grass. 
And if we have eyes to see, we will notice in different moments of our life of delight or rest or food. This is our God who cares for us and provides. He leads us to green grass and quiet waters, for he is a shepherd who provides. And then David goes on and and speaks of how our God is a God who directs our steps. Because as I said before, sheep have a tendency of getting lost. You might remember in Isaiah 53, where it's speaking of us, Isaiah says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And, and of course, the implication is that's what sheep do. They go astray. They get lost. And, and I understand why we are being compared to sheep, because I, I feel the lostness at times, or at least how easy it would be to get lost. Doesn't it feel right now like we are making nonstop decisions in the fog? And life just feels confusing, and I can feel lost at times. And, and it can seem so easy that if we just make the wrong call, we kind of like step off the path and, and things are over, it, it feels really bewildering. And, and sheep get lost. And, and if it were an inattentive sh- shepherd, it would be a very easy thing for, for some of his sheep just to kind of move off the path and, hey, there's a few less sheep in your flock by the end of the day. But that's not the way we see with God. Verse 3, where it's translated, he restores my soul. It could just as easily be translated, he causes my soul to come back. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And that word righteousness is not just morality. He leads me in, in, in what is good. He directs my steps. So you can imagine a shepherd and there's all these sheep moving along the way and then there's maybe a cliff here and there's a forest over there and and he keeps on calling them by name. All right, all right, Alfred, come on, you can come back here. All right, little guy, you're going. And he's just constantly walking around and making sure every sheep just keeps on going in the right direction. That's our God. He keeps bringing the sheep back. He keeps leading us in the right direction. I think we have a hard time believing that because I think we feel... Sure, when we're talking about stuff like provision, that's in God's hands. When it's about decisions, that's us. And God's like, no, I'm your shepherd even over those things. Think, think again about Jesus. When Jesus sends out his disciples, do you know the mission he says? He says, I am sending you to the lost sheep. Think of when he is walking through and there's this man sitting up in a tree, a tax collector who is lost in so many ways and he comes up to him and he pursues him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to your house. And then he explains because the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Do you, do you see what Jesus is doing? He's a shepherd who's finding the sheep that's starting to go off the path and says, come on back because he is a God. He is a shepherd who directs our steps. We, we sometimes maybe think that God is just kind of standing objectively on the side saying, I'm gonna keep you from knowing what you're supposed to do and I'll just leave you to figure things out and if you get it wrong, you messed up. But that's not the God that we see here. He is a shepherd who directs our steps. Think of everything that God has done to lead us in a good path. I mean, sometimes people feel like, man, the Bible is daunting because there's so much. But think of what that means, that God has worked over centuries to give us this lamp to our path. Think of how even as we sometimes get confused, not knowing what God's word is saying, how he gives us a people, teachers, people to work together to understand the path that we should go in. He says, if you want wisdom, just ask and I will give it to you. 
And, and when we start going off the path because we're sheep and we stray, he will do things, whether it's a confrontation from a friend or whether it's suddenly a conviction of the heart or whether it's sometimes experience, he will bring us back because he is a God who directs our steps. That's what it means to be a good shepherd. And there will be moments, I think, when we look back and we realize that even though we keep on making these inconsistent decisions, somehow our life makes sense. And it's not because of us. It's because we have a shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness. Well, then third, he says that he has a shepherd who protects. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which could just as easily be translated, even though I walk through the darkest of valleys. Sheep, if they were to get drink, sometimes would have to be led to, like there's a canyon area where the water usually was, which was very dark, very shady, but also a place where a lot of the wild animals would congregate. And so for they, them to be brought there, they were in danger. And David is honest. He understands that as God leads his sheep, he will lead them through danger. He will lead them through dark valleys. And we understand what he's talking about. We know if we've lived long enough that it is impossible to go through this life and escape grief and temptations and suffering and failure. And as we, we reflect on that, the question that we ask is what will happen to us when those things happen? When we are in these darkest of valleys, will we be broken? Will we be overcome by bitterness? Will we lose any hope or joy as these things take place? And David is reflecting that and he says, even in those moments, even in those moments where I am in the darkest of places, even in those, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me crying out moments, I see now that I do not need to fear. Why? I love what he does here. He doesn't say why, because my shepherd is with me. Do you notice how in some ways it's even like as he's thinking about it, he feels the fear, he feels the nervousness. And so what does he do? He says, for you are with me. And of course, we can even do that right now because God, you, you, are, you are with us right now. And as we think of these things, we don't need to be afraid. He says, my rod and my, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those were the two tools of the shepherd. The rod is essentially just a glorified club. Its purpose is when, when wild animals come to be batted down as violently as possible so that they don't draw any near. The staff was for the sheep. It was to redirect the sheep as they started wandering. Sometimes they need to be forcefully brought back and that's what the staff did. And there are times that I suspect you and I did not encounter some kind of hardship or some kind of temptation only because God stood in the way of it and said, not this time. And there are other times where the sadness that we encountered, the grief was actually God's kindness as he was forcefully bringing us back along the path. Because we have a God who protects us, who will spare nothing to keep us safe. I mean, didn't we just confess that 
where we said that not a hair can fall from our head without the will of our Father. In fact, all things must work for our salvation because we have a God who protects. And perhaps this is the hardest of us, uh, these things for us to believe because we know the suffering that, that we've either faced or will face. But again, I want you to think of what you see in Jesus. We speak of Jesus rightly as one who is gentle, but at the same time, he was forceful. Think of how forceful he was. With just a word, he silenced the storm. With words, he eviscerated false teaching. He rebuked diseases because they should not be and they were gone. He cast out demons with just a word. And then at the cross, even though he looked weak in that moment, he conquered, he crushed death and sin that we might be protected, that we might be brought through even the valley of death itself and have no need to fear. Because he is our shepherd and will spare no good thing to protect us. If we had more time, we would look more at the next verse where he moves from the metaphor of sheep to the metaphor of host. It's, it's a beautiful image of, of a king who honors as an honored guest us, making this feast for us, honoring us in the face of enemies, vindicating us, pouring oil over our dry heads after a long day to give us comfort and continuing to refill the cup so that we can feel at home. The idea is that not only is God the God who walks with us in our journey, but he is also our destination who welcomes us home. And that's why he concludes that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But in that summary statement, which I think is what verse 6 is, is a final summary, I want to actually consider the first half, which I think refers to this, this metaphor of God as shepherd. Surely is his conclusion, as he sees clearly through all of the fog, surely goodness goodness is all that is good, all that we desire, all that is delightful. Goodness and mercy, mercy is the steadfast, faithful love of God. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Consider how that's different from how we think. Normally we think goodness is something we have to look for and have to pursue. And maybe the love of God is something that we occasionally find along the way. And what we're told is this whole time as we're walking, goodness and mercy are right behind us, running after. Literally the word is chasing. They are pursuing me all the days of my life because that's what a shepherd does. Because God is constantly right behind us, seeking to show us good. All the days of our life, he is finding moments where we can rest in green grass. All the days of our life, he is directing our steps so that somehow it makes sense, not through our fault, but because of God. All the days of our life, he is protecting us against all of the enemies so that he can bring us home. That's, that's how it's different and we can know this because God has shown us. Because God sat 5,000 people down on a field and he fed them dinner. Because God found the tax collector and the sinners and he called them back. Because God in Christ Jesus laid down his life to defeat the worst of our enemies. And he says, if you need an explanation, 
I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And if there is any application, it is simply this. We have a God who invites us to trust him. To know even in the midst of ambiguity and uncertainty and confusion and hardship that we have a God who is a good shepherd who will always be attentive to our needs and will lead us home. And so I want to invite us even now, having heard God's word, wherever you are in this, whether you are just thinking about becoming a Christian or whether this is something where you just need to keep coming back to this, I would invite you to use this as a time of prayer and turning to God and asking for him to care for you and seeking to trust him. Let's spend some time in quietness of prayer and then I'll lead us in prayer in a couple moments.